my marriage and now my daughter are, are the most important things in my life, right? I, I'd say that if if we lost everything, I mean, we're, we're insured against losing a lot of things, but yeah, you know, I mean, if I lost everything and we had to live like, in like a, a Siberian hut or something somewhere, I'd be happy as long as, as I'd have her. Um, and I think, she, and she feels similarly, at least she tells me that. So, um, you know, it's medicine, medicine is a job, right? Um, it, it shouldn't define you. And I feel very strongly about that. Like that, what you do during the day is not who you are. And if you separate this um, persona of being a doctor from who you are as a person, that really allows you to open up um, and decide what you want, what you want your career to look like. Hello and hola friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage, and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome. Bienvenidos. Hey there, this is Dr. Erin Wiseman. I'm a fellow Dr. Podcast Network member, life coach, and mama three. I kick butt, I take names, and I help other high-achieving people do the exact same. And today, I want to invite you over to my podcast, Dr. Me First. It's well over 300 episodes, and each one is filled with inspiration and advice from amazing guests. So grab your wife, your mom, your sister, your best friend, and come tune in as we explore what it means to be a woman in medicine and a woman in this world. Because this podcast is a dose of everything that I needed when I was burned out, exhausted, and ready to quit it all. At the end of the day, I do this to help you feel more connected to yourself and to connect with others. I love to end my show with a kick of encouragement. So here's my favorite tagline. Your life, your calling, your pulse matters. See you over at Dr. Me First. Please help me welcome our guest on today's show of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Dr. Andrew Tisser. He is a board-certified emergency physician currently practicing in the Buffalo, New York area. I met Andrew virtually, as I seem to do a lot these days, as he has a presence in many physician Facebook groups and hosts the podcast, Doc to Me Doc. Andrew is the supportive husband of a rheumatologist and the new father of a one-month-old baby girl who I see he's currently holding in his arms and also the old father of a nine-year-old fur baby dog. (laughs) So welcome, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah, Kate. Thanks for having me. Really happy to be here. Tell our audience a little bit about you. Like, where where are you from? What do you do right now? Sure. A lot of things. So uh, I actually grew up in uh, Queens, the New York City area, uh, and then uh, went to medical school on Long Island uh, at the New York College of Osteopathic Medicine, did my emergency medicine training in Syracuse, New York at Upstate University Medical Center. You might hear some baby noises, everybody. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And following residency, followed my wife to Chicago uh, when she did her rheumatology fellowship, and then we moved for uh, back to our forever home in uh, Buffalo, New York. Um, so yeah, Kate, as you said, I'm an emergency physician. Um, I host Talk to Me Doc, which is a podcast 
geared towards uh, early career physicians. Um, and I'm a career strategist for early to mid career physicians who are currently dissatisfied with their career um, and uh, looking to make a change. Perfect. So early to mid, what, what, how do you define that? I'm just made it up, right? So, um, there's no, uh, there's no like demarcation there. I consider early career physicians from residents, uh, all the way up to about five to seven years out. Uh, and then, uh, mid would probably be in the like seven to 15 range, but you know, whatever, I'm happy to work with anybody, but, uh, those are just the people I relate to better. And, um, I think, shush. Um, and I think I have specific issues that I can talk to more intelligently because I lived through them. Right. Okay. No, that's perfect. We're going to, we're going to move on to that in a little bit of our mid segment of the interview. First, I'm going to start out by asking you what I ask all my guests. What is your definition of marital interdependence? Ooh, marital interdependence. That's a great question. Uh, you know, I think, I think marital interdependence is a good goal to strive for personally. Some people think it's not a great thing because you're you're codependent, but I think there's a, a good distinction between interdependence and codependence, right? Um, and it doesn't mean separation of duties. It doesn't mean I cook and you clean, or uh, and it doesn't mean I'm the breadwinner and you're the stay-at-home parent. Although I'd love to be the stay-at-home parent, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, I think interdependence means a relationship based on uh, mutual respect, a relationship based on uh, you know love, respect, communication, and openness. That's what I think interdependence is. I I would be lost without my wife, and I hope she would say the same. But uh, you know, you never do know. <laughs> and you said you've been together for ten years and married for five, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay, so bring us back ten years. What did that look like? How did you guys meet? <laughs> uh, very romantic. We uh, we met in anatomy lab, first year of medical school. She was in my group, uh, anatomy group, and um, striking, of course. Uh, she, uh, I, I call her the bombshell and the bright red scrubs. But um, I, uh, she, she wasn't a big fan of mine, and uh, there's a number of reasons. So. Uh, this is, you know, I'm not going to get into this long story, but I started medical school actually with, with a pretty bad um, car versus pedestrian versus me. Um, and so I came to anatomy lab with double black eyes, looked like I just got the, uh, you know, something beat out of me, right? Um, so uh, not a great first impression. Wow. <laughs> Oh, you had been in a car accident. Yeah. So what happened briefly, I was walking home. Uh, with my roommate, um, like after orientation, but before we started classes that weekend, uh, you know, we had gone out to have a couple drinks and I was walking home and I got hit by a drunk driver, like speeding out of a parking lot, um, and spent three, three or four days in the neuro ICU because I had, um, uh, bilateral, uh, frontal brain bleeds. Wow. So that was cool. So then how long was, did you go to med, I mean, start med school or anatomy lab? I started, I, I only missed like, um, like a, a week. Honestly. Wow. Okay. And then I just went back when, I mean, I felt okay. Like I didn't have, you know, I was beaten and bruised and like, but, and I had the, the brain bleeds, but they just kind of watched me and repeated imaging and everything was okay. Um, but, uh, I looked like a thug. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she wasn't into the double black eyes. So then she wasn't into that. And I also weigh like, I weighed like 150 pounds, which now I'm like considerably more than that, but also had done some lifting and stuff in the time. So I was just like this scrawny kid with double black eyes 
who like was just basically, I was just like making fun of her for being from Buffalo. Um, which is funny cause I live there now, but like, uh, yeah, so that not, not, <laughs> I can't imagine super, uh, super appealing or attractive on first, uh, encounter. Okay. Okay. Well, and then what happened? Like how, how did you fall in love? Well, um, I asked her out, I don't know, like 50 times and she said no every time. Um, and you know, like, oh, it was crazy. Like I'd be, cause she lived in Buffalo and we were on school in Long Island. So she would go home sometimes on the weekend. I'd be like, Hey, can I pick you up from the airport? And she'd be like, no. I'd be like, Hey, you want to grab a drink after the test? Like, no. Um, and it was just no, 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 no. And, um, uh, one time I asked her to like, cause I was, you know, truthfully, I was really bad at anatomy, like horrible at anatomy and she was really good at it. So I asked if she could help me cause we would, we would hang out in mutual friends groups. Like we were friends. Um, but she just wouldn't go out with me. And so, uh, so I asked her to help me with anatomy one time and like, you know, as cliche as that is, but I really did need help. But like, of course I had ulterior motives, but like I definitely needed help. And then after we were done studying, I'm like, so, hey, you want to grab a drink? And she's like, no, we have a test. I'm like, okay. Right. You know, so it just went on and on and on and on for that whole first year um, until, you know, eventually, eventually you just wear people down, I guess. I don't know what it is, but uh, she acquiesced uh, near the end of our first year of medical school. Um, and, uh, and, then, and then we kind of been together ever since. The, um, she, uh, it's funny that I, I don't know. I, I always remember this. We went on our first dates, like an Italian restaurant. And it was one of those places that it's like, you know, they give you massive portions of food. And, um, and I was in my head, I, I got this dish and it was, it was called the strangled priest. I don't know. That's what they called it. And, um, it was delicious and it was, but it was a massive plate of food. And in my head, I'm like, if I finish this whole plate, she's going to think I'm just like this monster, you know, like this fat, disgusting person right and uh, i was like but i really want to finish this plate you know because it is so good i finished the plate we're still together so it's all right oh, it's all right. <laughs> oh my gosh okay could you barely walk afterwards i don't yeah i don't even know how we got home that should be like driving while under the influence of carbs or something i don't know it was uh yeah it was something but and what about yeah. the proposal when did that happen the proposal happened um so actually uh we were going to residency and you know we can get into this a little bit because residency was was very challenging for us but um so we matched apart we matched about two hours apart even though we did a couples match and um so i had planned to propose to her and i had uh, my grandmother's diamond and i was waiting for it to be set into a um a setting and everything and it was done early and it, it happened to be done. They called me from the jeweler the day my wife uh, was trained in professional dance and she was a dancer most of her life and did a lot of teaching. So it was ready the day of her final dance recital um, that she was going to give because we were moving away to, to residency. So her kids that she was teaching had a recital. So then I, um, I organized it such that um, I was the one to give the flowers um, at the end. You know, I was giving the flowers to her as the teacher. Uh, which she knew about, but she didn't know that, you know, I had a ring and, uh, the pictures are ridiculous. It's all these little, little girls, like shocked faces and everything. Oh my gosh. That is so cute. Okay. So was this at the end of medical school or beginning of residency? Yeah. It was at the very, it was right in between. So we were, we were moving the next week. 
um, for residency. And so we actually, we lived together in residency and I just drove like four hours a day a lot. Um, yeah, I just, I really, you know, as sappy as it sounds, I just really couldn't, didn't want to be a part. Um, and, uh, the first year I'm full, I'm fully stupid stories, but this is my life. But my first year, our first year residency, I, um, so I talked to the chief resident at the time and I said, listen, you know, my, my fiance lives two hours away and maybe you can help me. And he's like, well, no, you should just break it off because we don't need any more unhappy residents. And I was like, oh, good. You know, so that's cool. Um, like biggest transformation in your life and you get that. So that was fun. And so I, um, I was looking for an apartment that was really cheap because, you know, we're broke. And, um, so I put like, I went on Craigslist and stuff and see, I know, you know, Syracuse, New York, inner city Syracuse is not like that nice of a place unless you're living in certain areas. But this lady named Julie, her kids were gone. She was like this like biker lady. She was like badass, you know, whatever. Uh, and she was like 300 bucks a month. You could live upstairs in my son's old room and i was just like this is probably a bad idea but you know so i did and like she was a sweetheart really nice lady she used to like leave me sandwiches and stuff sometimes but um yeah i would just like live in this old lady's house uh sometimes and in, in a really sketchy part of town like really sketchy and then uh and then drive to albany uh, two hours away as long as much as i could uh and then by the end of the first year i'm like i can't uh, like I would just like lay in the room and like cry by myself. Like it was horrible. And so, um, I'm like, screw this. So I, uh, so I pretty much the rest of residency commuted almost four hours, sometimes after night shifts and everything. Um, two hours there, two hours back. I put 150,000 miles in my car on my car in the three years, um, of residency. So that was wow. cool. <laughs> and this, this is doing an ER residency. So a lot of shift work, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was I would sleep in the rest stop sometimes like, you know, because I'd get off shift with the full adrenaline rush and then I would drive for like a half hour, 45 minutes and get really tired. So I'd just like sleep in the rest stops for like a half hour and then keep going. So, I mean, really not probably the smartest thing to do, uh, but but you wanted to be with her. You wanted to be with what her. I wanted to do. I mean, that was where our life that was where my life was. Right. That's where she was. That's where our dog was. Um, that's where everything was. So like too bad. I don't really care what <laughs> anyone else had to say. Wow. Okay. And did you ever consider living halfway? There really isn't anything. Um, in like it's in upstate New York, like you have the major cities and then every, in between the cities is really just tiny little small towns. Um, and for her to have to drive an hour and us live nowhere, didn't make sense to me. Like for us to live in the middle of, I'd rather her live close to work and then me drive instead of like us both having to be burdened by it. So, and medicine residency, you know, those like 24 hour calls and all that. I didn't, you know, I was too worried about it. Right. Okay. And now let us now because you're holding your little baby girl in your, in your arms right now, we can occasionally hear her coo. Tell us how you guys prepared as like a dual physician couple. How did you prepare for a new baby? Did you guys take paternity, maternity leave, ask for FMLA? What are you doing now? Sure. Uh, I mean, you know, we had talked about it for a long time when we were in Chicago, it just didn't make sense. And then when we moved back here, we have, um, my in-laws actually, we have a guest house. They live connected to us. So we have them here and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law live two doors down. So we had so much help. Um, so, uh, that's, you know, that's how we like 
emotionally prepared. Um, as far as work, I mean, my wife uh, took 12 weeks and uh, she's got, honestly, she takes so little vacation and sick time ever that she pretty much had all that banked up. Um, plus we had, she had like short-term disability and uh, New York state uh, paid family leave. Um, I took, I was going to take six weeks, uh, but I ended up taking eight weeks because she had a failed induction. So the baby didn't come out to like two weeks later. Um, but, uh, so I, uh, you know, we have, um, New York state does have paternity paid leave, but, um, uh, obviously it's nowhere close to a physician salary. It's very, very little. Um, so that's a little bit of money, but honestly, I just saved money for about a year. I just was socking cash away. And then, uh, I said, um, I'm going out for eight weeks. So, you know, I'll see you in eight weeks. <laughs> that's it. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't miss it. I couldn't, I couldn't not be here, and I couldn't imagine not being here for uh, for these like formative weeks. Honestly, I'm really annoyed about going back to work in a week. I'm not, I'm not excited about it. <laughs> so, what has the birth? What has the birth of your beautiful baby girl taught you? I know, you know, I know this is new, but have you learned anything within the last month about you or maybe your marriage that you didn't realize before? I, you know, I think it's, we were worried that maybe, you know, it would just, it would, you know, we were worried what would happen, right? I think as everyone does, I think it really has only brought us closer together and has made it stronger. You know, I've started a, a, a weekly practice of checking in and, and just asking her if, if there's anything I could do to help her feel more supported uh, or if there's, you know, if she feels loved enough this week. You know, I heard that somebody talking about that once on a podcast or something out and I really liked it. So I've been doing that kind of check in because, Sometimes I get, you know, I do a lot of things and sometimes I get really into all the things I do and, and, you know, you can leave things behind sometimes. So I've been, I've been doing that, which has been really helpful. Um, I mean, this is, and it's amazing. Uh, although, I mean, newborns don't really do much, but, um, I mean, it's great. You know, she's, uh, she's perfect and, and we're really happy. It's, it, but you know, new challenges like anything else, like, look at me, I'm doing a podcast with her holding her up. Am I, I'm not going to have a left arm after this show because, but, um, and what has your wife responded with? Like, what did your wife say when you've been asking or checking, doing these check-ins? Does she say I, she likes it? You know, I mean, I haven't had a no yet, so we'll see how that goes. But, um, you know, I think, I think it's been, I, you know, I don't know. I should ask her, but I think she appreciates it. And, and she would tell me if there was something I could be doing better. Uh, because as especially for for breastfed babies, there's only so much we can do, right? As, um, if she's the baby's getting fed every few hours, um, you know, maybe we're doing one bottle or so a day. But other than that, you know, so we split. I've been on diaper duty, which is fine, um, and trying to do everything else. But uh, I, I think it's been good. You know, it's been. I, I think it, it. It if anything, it has only brought us closer together, which is uh, which is great. That's beautiful because it's not always the case. So, I mean, I know you have boundary, you know, you create clear boundaries and we're, you know, we're in the same Slack channels because we're in the same doctor podcast network. And I know you have certain boundaries you set for family and for work. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know a lot of early career physicians are sometimes hesitant to set boundaries. What are your boundaries you set for family time versus work and all your, you know, side stuff you do? And when did you put those in place? So, yeah, I think generally speaking, I don't do anything work related. That is, you know, podcasts, business, um, you know, even charting, et cetera, unless, you know, extenuating circumstances after 5 p.m. Um, and I'm an ER doctor, so I have, you know, random days off during the week. So that's 
that works for us. And then I, I generally don't do things on the weekends um, because I work half the weekend. So the other two are kind of sacred. Um, and I didn't have these boundaries. So, you know, a really tough time in our relationship. There are two t- really tough times. First one was residency period. Um, and I think that is for everybody. Uh, we could talk about that a little later if we want. And the second time was actually when we moved from Chicago to Buffalo, which should be such a happy time, like as our homecoming. Um, but I was so unhappy in Chicago. I was so burnt out in Chicago uh, that I was always like, when I get back to Buffalo, I am going to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to create a career that I want, uh, which I've done. But in the beginning, we moved here and I was just like, going to meetings, call on the phone with everybody, networking like crazy, you know, just working on just working on the podcast, working on all these things as much as possible because I was trying to to get to a place where I wasn't miserable. Um, but at the same time, I think I left my wife behind a little bit and she was really struggling. It was her home, but she loved Chicago. She loved she loved being in the city. She loved her work environment. I mean, if she, if her family wasn't here, we would have stayed there forever. Um, and so she, I, I don't think I noticed how much she was struggling and we really had some re- some really tough times, um, in the, in those first few months and really it's all my fault. Um, but I think it was, uh, it is, uh, I, I think it was, um, a big fish in a small pond kind of situation. So moving to a small town, hold on, sorry, moving to a smaller city where there are a lot more, where there's a lot more opportunity, um, and having being so focused on what I wanted and my goals, I think um, really didn't do our our our, uh, our relationship a, a true service. So that's a long answer to a short question, but that's when I instituted the boundaries. When I started recognizing that perhaps I don't need to work on eighty five thousand things at the same time, just the things that I really care about. Um, and and this year, twenty twenty one, has been the year of no. And I've have said no to a lot of things um, this year. Uh, just to focus on my business, to focus on my podcast, and to focus on my family. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, that's the answer. <laughs> so yeah, you had to f- you figure it out kind of as it comes. I mean, that's that's usually when we decide to make boundaries because something's not working. So let's talk a little bit about early career design. How does that? How do you help others with designing their career or strategizing, and then fitting side gigs to that as well? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it really, you know, so the, the, the big question, right, is when, when docs come to me and say they're burnt out, they're unhappy, they hate medicine, they want to quit, et cetera, is all right. So what do you want to do? Right. And, and, and many people can't answer that question. Right. And they say they come to me because they need me to help them figure out what, what they want to do. Um, and a lot of that needs to be reframed because I think you need to figure out who you are as a person, uh, who you are as an individual before you can figure out the what. So you need to figure out, you know, people talk about the big why, and I'm not, I'm not a big hokey person in general, and I don't think it's a hokey concept. But, you know, going back to questions like, what did you like to do before before medical school? Who were you? Um, who were you in college? Who were you after medical, after college, before medical school? What were the things you like to do or your hobbies? Now we're not going to, you know, necessarily monetize, you know, gardening or whatever, um, that you really like to do. But I think, um, figuring out your core values and what you stand for, uh, really matters. And when it comes to career design and figuring out the, what the, what comes after that, right? So I say the why is first, 
once we figure out the why, we work on the what, you know? So we're gonna set short and long-term goals to figure out what your ideal career looks like. Now, sometimes it's just cutting back to part-time or cutting back hours in medicine and developing a side gig that's that pays some of the bills, right? Um, sometimes it's starting a business and people really wanna do that. That's great too. And sometimes um, it's changing your clinical position, uh, renegotiating your contract. Sometimes it's um, leaving clinical medicine. You know, I, I tell people that I don't push them to leave or stay. It's whatever they want to do. And I help with both sides. I stayed, you know, I thought about leaving for a long time, but I stayed um, and plenty of people stay and plenty of people leave. Um, for example, I have a client who really wanted to work on, um, like a low carb nutrition business and she's a hospitalist and she stayed, you know, and, and we worked through uh, kind of what she wanted to do, you know, uh, and she's doing courses and things like that now that are, that are bringing in some money for her. So, um, and help more people along the way. Yeah. You know, so it, that's kind of how it is that we need to figure out the why and then the what, and then the how is much easier. Um, you know, I, I, we've, aside from getting too technical, you know, you got to do career experiments, you got to try things because you can't just be like, all right, I, I mean, you can just say you quit medicine, and you're going to go full into something else. But that's not practical for a lot of people. So um, we design career experiments, etc. But the strategy is easy, uh, once you know the why and the what. So that's the uh, that's the overall process. Okay. And and what would you what advice would you give to like residents who are already starting to get burnt out or unhappy kind of like you know, when you were describing your, the first of your two tough times in your marriage? Well, there's a couple of things. The first thing is you're not too young and it's not too early to feel burnout because there's a lot of people. I know I was told in residency all the time, yeah, well, you're resident, you know, it sucks. So when you're out, then, uh, you know, you'll be making the big bucks and you'll be happy. Not so, you know, I was miserable when I came out. Right. And I worked, I, and I worked locums and I worked, uh, part-time at, at every kind of ER you could think of tiny, rural, urban, huge, academic, whatever. I worked at them all, hated them all. Right. When I was in Chicago. Um, so I even go back to medical school. Um, I was burnt out second year of medical school and I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it. I wanted to quit, but I was too indebted to quit at that time. Now, looking back, I should have quit, but, um, I think, you know, I've been able to, to design a career that I'm happy with, but if I was advising me as a second year medical student, I would look for other options at that point. But then again, um, it's not too early and you're not too young because I had, uh, even as an early attending, you're too young to be burnt out. Uh, you're just figuring it out. It'll get better. Wow. Especially, I mean, especially promising, like once you make big bucks, you're going to be happy. Like, yeah, that, cause that's a thing, right? <laughs> that is not a thing. Oh my gosh. Okay. So yeah, I have a huge problem with that. People equating money to happiness and we can talk about that all day long. So what would you be doing instead? You second year med student, you decide to drop out of med school. What would you be doing now? It's a great question. You know, I really enjoy, um, I really enjoy the financial side of things. I really enjoy the administrative part of my job, which is um, why I'm pursuing more in, in regards to medicine, I'm pursuing more administrative work because I, you know, as, as weird as I am, I like going to the meetings, um, uh, cause I'm able to affect more patients that way. In my opinion, I'm able to help more people. Um, so I think it would probably some, be something financial related, but I probably would end up starting my own business in the end. Cause that's just kind of the person I am, but you know, who knows? I was a very different person back then. And uh, connecting to my why then would certainly be different than connecting to my why now. Um, and I was when I was single and um, 
you know, full of, full of ideas. Uh, that would have been something I think totally different. I, I, I went into medicine because I was good at science and it seemed like an interesting career. I, you know, I, and, uh, I was a yeah, EMS. I worked EMS in, in New York city and I worked EMS uh, upstate for a while and fire and that kind of stuff. So that was my introduction to the medical field. Um, but I think all of us as physicians would do well in really any other field. You know, I don't, I, I think we're just the personality type and the intelligence and, and the drive that gets you to where you are as a practicing physician. Uh, you do well, really anything you did. My mom wanted me to be a lawyer, but God, oh, that would be horrible. <laughs> Our drive, yeah, we definitely have this a drive as physicians and we can really kind of do whatever we want to do. It's our own, our own mind that can can serve as our roadblock. So you mentioned finances, you love finances. So let's talk a little bit about that and, and your debt. Cause you talked about being, you know, in, in, in significant debt, you and your wife together, how much debt are you guys in? Cumulatively student loan debt's about a million dollars. The, uh, it's, it's fun. It's fun to look at because if you look at the compound interest calculations and such, uh, we went to the same school. We took out the same amount of loans. She had a little bit of my, a little bit of loans from graduate school, but nothing, you know, drop in the bucket kind of thing. And uh, so we took out the same amount of loans at our, you know, seven, 8% interest rate that it was when we were there. And I refinanced in residency because I knew I would never be eligible for public service loan forgiveness. Uh, and she stayed in the government loans because she is eligible for public service loan forgiveness, right? And her balance is ballooned up into the 600s, mid 600s, and mine's in like the 400s right now. Um, but you know, that's, it's, it's funny to look at that because it's, it's, you know, it's criminal, honestly, what they do, but that's a discussion for another day. Uh, but, uh, I think, yeah, you know, on paper, we, we have a, a massive loan burden. My wife, again, is going to be eligible for public service loan forgiveness. She's like six years into the program. I, you know, I'm she'll, I mean, I'm probably going to cry when it happens, but that's, uh, that's, and mine are refinanced at such a low rate that it's, I, they don't bother me. You know, I, I don't have anxiety about them anymore. So then, yeah. So how do you focus on, like, what do you focus on now? And instead of focusing on the debt, t tell us a little bit about your money mindset. How does it not bother you? What do you think about? Well, yeah, I think a lot of anxiety about student, like there's just like, when you have a, a student loan burden of like 400 grand, that is very concerning to a lot of people, right? Because especially for those who are unhappy, because I mean, I, I know that's how I felt. I was like, I would, when I was in Chicago at the worst of burnt that burnout, I'd say, if there was literally anything I could do, I don't care if I like it, that would replace my salary, I would do it because I hate this. Um, anything. And so I tried like so many things that were like terrible fits for me, like aesthetics. Like I, I, I love, you know, it's awesome what people do with like, uh, you know, Botox and Medispas and all that stuff, but I would be terrible at it. Not procedurally. Like I just don't have the eye for that. Um, I, you know, like I try, I went and shadowed an aesthetic physician and I was like, this is, I hate this, you know? Um, but, and, and, you know, I got into like chart reviews and uh, doing that kind of stuff, which I still do. Cause I got to enjoy it. But like, I would do literally anything. If you told me like, I could just like make donuts or something and I would, I would get my same salary and I would be miserable all day long. Not that that's a bad career. I just came into my head cause I'm on a diet, but, um, you know, if, if that was, if that could do it, I would do it. I just hated it so much. So, um, I think a lot of the anxiety comes from like, Hey, I have like a three or two or three or $4,000 a month loan payment. Um, what am I going to do? You know? And I think if you think of it as another bill, 
Um, if you, if you think of it as a tax, um, that's just, you know, it's part of your taxes or something like that. Uh, it helps remove some of this like negative energy around student loans. Now, like, do I think you should just like put it in a pile and forget about them? No, of course not. But, um, there's certain things you can do, I mean, not, you know, COVID notwithstanding, uh, with federal loans, with private loans, um, you know, to make them more reasonable, because uh, I don't, I don't believe in the, I'm not, I don't subscribe. Let's say I don't, I don't not believe in it. I believe in it, but I don't subscribe to the live like a resident philosophy that is espoused on many of these, on many of the boards. I don't think you should do a three to seven year residency, come out and then eat ramen and baked beans and live in like a trailer under the bridge for like the next 10 years until your loans are gone. I just don't have that kind of debt aversiveness. You know, I've used debt my whole life and I've used it effectively um, as a tool um, because I understand it. Uh, and I just, you know, I think you should, you know, we could be hit, you could get hit by a bus tomorrow, right? And I'm not saying go out there and buy a Maserati when you get out of residency, but um, like a steak dinner once in a while is okay, right? When you're in the top one to 5% earners in the United States, despite not feeling that way um, across specialties. So um, I think debt needs to be looked at, student debt needs to be looked at as a tax or as a bill uh, managed appropriately and then removing the anxiety around it um, either you want to rapidly repay it, which is fine if that will make you feel better, but also not rapidly repaying it is also fine. Despite what the like finance gurus will tell you, like, <laughs> you know, my, my student loan payment is at two and a half percent right now. It, it's, you know, yes, I, I accrue interest on that because it's a massive balance, but it is not my priority to pay that off. No, I love that. And then also asking yourself, you know, is that really what's causing your anxiety? And as soon as that dust disappears, is that is your anxiety going to go away? Are you going to be happier? You know, or could you find less anxiety or a little bit of a little bit more happiness or joy currently? Kind of like what you're saying, you're able to kind of put it to the side, not ignore it, but no. And I also have enough like side projects and things to create income to help pay those off, to help pay that bill monthly too, which is nice. Right. So that's another thing that was always a goal is like create enough side income to cover my payment for the month. Right. So that I'm never worried about it. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm pretty close. And, uh, so it, it, that's another thing that I talk to people about, like, oh, I can't do a side hustle. I can't start a business because I got the student loans. That's not really true. Right? That's I, I mean, the student loans for some are a crutch. I can't make a change. I can't leave this job. I can't take a risk. You know, we could, again, we could talk about that all day long, but um, that's that's not what you're worried about. I, I don't I don't believe that. And do you does your wife do your your wife sit down and have financial discussions? Do you manage all the finances or does she? come into part of this too. Yeah. I mean, I manage most of it cause I like it, not cause I'm a, like a control person. Um, the, uh, you know, we come, my wife and I both come from humble backgrounds. We're both first generation physicians. Um, I grew up in a one bedroom apartment in New York city. Um, my wife grew up in, in a lower income part of Buffalo. Um, but you know, it's, it's funny. Like I, I, I was instilled, it was instilled to me probably by my father, um, that money is scarce and that money is something to hold on to, um, at all costs. Right. And we never went on vacations. We never did anything like that as a child because, you know, and it's not that we weren't poor, you know, we, we, we certainly were not poor. Um, but I think perhaps my parents made some poor finance. 
Quiet. Made some poor financial decisions in their life. Robo's um, little baby. <laughs> she's not even awake. She's just making crazy T-Rex sounds. Oh, okay. Uh, Animal noises in her sleep. Yes, I understand. Yeah, she's a baby velociraptor. But um, the uh, so it was like you know you get imprinted on as a child, and I, and I I grew up with this like um, scarcity mindset, this poverty mindset that I've been trying to work through over the years, like silly things like. Um, We'd be at a store and my wife wants to buy like a decorative candle or something for like 30 bucks. And I'd be like, well, I bet we could find it cheaper online, you know? And what are you going to save? $3, you know? And like, we've gotten into a couple of fights over that because she's like, you are ridiculous. Like, look at our combined salary and I can't spend $20. And I was just like, ah, I never told you not to spend it. She's like, yeah, but you're going to give me a hard time about it. And it's just stupid things like that that I've noticed, um, which that I've, I've, really, you know, it's not all gone, but I've really worked through most of that at this point. Um, that's really just comes from a child not having anything, right. And not having any expendable income. And again, we don't like, we don't, we don't go on, you know, we don't fly first class and do crazy stuff like that all the time, but certainly a nice night out doesn't bother me, you know, it's, um, and I like, I love paying, you know, paying for time as well, paying down time. Like I don't cut my own grass. So it would take, take me all week and uh and then i'd have to cut it again you know um so it's uh it's just one of those things right that, that you grow up with as a child um and, and my wife doesn't really have that she, she what she has is more like guilt right so like she'll spend money on something she wants and that is you know what who cares right um but then we'll feel like buyer's remorse or guilty about spending the money uh, which she recognizes is ridiculous as well. But I think that all comes from childhood. So uh, that's one of those things, you know, that trying to live in abundance and that there is enough, there's always enough, you know, we're doing really well. Um, and a lot of gratitude, you know, adding gratitude and abundance thoughts to that help. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I came from. And then so what my response to that was to learn everything I could about money. Um, so, you know, I think, I think, yeah, that was a response to, to not having enough. So that way I could have more because I know everything about money. But, you know, of course, that's not how life works. Um, but um, again, long answer, short question. That's, that's kind of how I do these things. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, of course. I, I Hey, I can I can go off on tangent if anybody can. <laughs> and would you have any anything else that you'd like to bring to our audience? Anything we haven't covered in regards to medicine, emergency medicine, residency, marriage, any last marriage advice um, that we haven't already covered or something you'd like to emphasize before we, we part? Uh, she has something to emphasize, I think. Um, <laughs> no, I think we covered a lot. You know, I think uh, my marriage and now my daughter are, are the most important things in my life, right? I, I'd say that if if we lost everything, I mean, we're, we're insured against losing a lot of things, but you know, you know if I lost everything and we had to live like, in like a, a Siberian hut or something somewhere, I'd be happy as long as, as I'd have her. Um, and I think, she, and she feels similarly, at least she tells me that. So, um, you know, it's medicine. Medicine is a job, right? Um, it, it shouldn't define you. And I feel very strongly about that. Like that, what you do during the day is not who you are. And if you separate this, um, persona of being a doctor from who you are as a person, that really allows you to open up, um, and decide what you want, what you want your career to look like. Because, you know, I, I like, and I know you're, you're a certified life coach and that's awesome. I, you know, I like to tell people that I, I'm not a life coach. I, and if you work with me, you're not going to get any life coaching. I mean, you might get a little, but like, uh, it's, 
you know, I'm not a trained life coach. I'm, if you want to, if you want to compare me to anything, the closest I would compare me to is a career coach. Um, but, uh, the life coaches are awesome. And I think everyone probably should have one, but uh, what, what I'm going to work on with you is your career. And because career spills over into everything, yeah. despite if you say you don't take it home, you're full, you of, right? Yeah. You always do. I don't bring charts home to do, but I bring the rest of the baggage of my yeah. shift because there's no way to separate that. So if you're miserable in your career, you're going to be miserable at home. Right. Because how many hours a day do you spend at work? And again, I'm not saying that you got to quit medicine and be a digital nomad and roam the world. And like, I mean, that sounds really cool. But um, if you want to do that, that's fine. But uh, I think your career really should be teed up and you should have short and long term goals, what you want out of it and what you want out of your life because they intersect. So um, as far as medicine, marriage and money, medicine is a job uh, and should be treated as such. And if you want to work 80 hours a week or 100 hours a week and, and do that, that's cool, too. That's great. As long as that's what you want. Um, marriage is, you know, one of the most wonderful experiences I've had thus far now, uh, adding fatherhood to it um, and is is the most important to me. Family is one of my core values um, and money. Uh, money is everywhere money flows between people all the time right so uh making decisions based on money is is, is silly right um, especially when it comes to your career i think uh to have something to pay the bills but but fulfills you is much more important right you can always negotiate for more money but i t i prefer to negotiate for more time but again different conversation thank you so much dr andrew tisser this has been such a pleasure to talk to you and your daughter has been so good this whole time like i she's not usually this good so i maybe she likes your voice i don't know <laughs> she'll have to be back on thanks again Kate. thank you so much Don't forget to go hang out with my dear friend, Dr. Erin Weissman, over at her podcast, Dr. Me First, on your favorite podcast app, or learn more about how to connect with the Queen of Sass herself by heading to drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash Dr. Me First. Such a fun and cute episode with Dr. Andrew Tisser, only because I could see his little baby the entire time in his arms. You got to hear her coo, I think, once or twice, but oh my gosh, she was so good, right? So let's delve into the three take-home points that I got from Dr. Andrew Tisser. Number one, Design your career strategy from the beginning, and this will often help prevent burnout or moral injury. And if you would like, if, if, if you don't do it right away, that's okay. But if you start to notice yourself getting a little bit unhappy at work or in your career, not knowing which direction to go, realize it. It may be time for you to design your career strategy. What does that look like to you? Well, set short-term and long-term goals. Uh, have a why. Define your why. It needs to be strong. And then your what. What does your ideal career look like? But if, of course, why Why is always the first question. Then it's what. And then, and then how becomes easy, right? As oftentimes as physicians, we want to jump straight to the how. How are we going to do this? Oh, well, I know what to do. I don't know what to do. The action, the actions. When actually the first thing you need is your why, your thoughts. And then what. What is this mean to me? What, what is this bringing into my life? What am I making this mean? What do I, 
what am I getting to do here? Practicing medicine is, I mean, it's it's an amazing privilege. So why, what, and then how in setting your short-term and long-term goals? Number two, live like a resident or not? (laughs) Do not live like a resident. That is the question, to live like a resident or not. Well, are you a resident? How, how far out of residency training are you? And what does that mean to you? Does that mean you have to eat ramen every day for the next couple of years and live on a, sleep on a mattress on the floor? I mean, I still sleep on a mattress on the floor sometimes, depending on where we live. And I don't feel like I'm living like a resident, believe me. We still take nice, nice vacations. I will still go out to nice dinners. But I think you get to choose, you know, what how you want to spend your money when you first come out of residency, how you're going to save, how you're going to invest is really the most important question. So if you figure out how you're going to invest your money and where it's going to go first, how you're going to pay yourself, invest in yourself and in your family first, then it's less about just living on this little meager sum or salary that you think would be a resident paycheck, right? And and Andrew even talks about paying for time. He's not going to do yard work. He probably will not clean his house. He will pay for that time to be spending with his family. So will a resident do that? Would you have done that as a resident? I don't know. But you decide what is the most valuable to you. And climbing out of the scarcity mindset, right? Because money is everywhere all the time. It's never going to go away. So we might as well start living in abundance and figuring out what that looks like to us. Number three, student loans. How do you feel about student loans? Dr. Tisser says they should just be looked at, or they can, they can just be looked at as a tax, right? And we even talked about this several months ago when I had Dr. Latifat on, how she actually looks at student loans as a privilege. It was an honor to be able to take out loans to become a doctor. Like what an honor. So instead of student loans causing anxiety or tension or undue stress upon your life, figure out where that anxiety and stress and pressure is actually really coming from. Is it the student loans or is it a different thought? Because it's going to, is it that going to go away when all the student loans go away? And you can figure that out. I mean, we, we all celebrate when we pay off debts and, and, and student and student loan debts is a huge one that people are always right. Posting about celebrating. Yay. I paid them off. And then oftentimes we don't know, but there's like a new stress <laughs> and new anxiety that takes over that one. So if we think of it as just like a privilege attacks and, and then how, what can we do from there? Well, we can refinance, we can get lower interest rates. We can invest in things that actually bring us greater return than paying off the loans would save us. So there's a whole different way of looking at things. And I know I've had several guests on this show that think of these as differently. So you have, you decide again, once again, how are you going to think of your student loans? It's just a tax, a privilege, an honor and if you'd like more on that you can always hop on over to 39.6 community it's a facebook community and a youtube channel that my husband and a website that my husband runs dr victor mangona he loves talking about student loans refinancing mortgages what kind of car to drive uh, finances everything right real estate so that's at 39.6 and you can also join my 
my Facebook group, Medicine, Marriage, and Money. If you're a physician and you know where to reach me, reach out anytime. I love you guys. I am here on Facebook and Instagram. They branch out other places later. (laughs) If any of this resonated with you or you think it might resonate with a friend or a colleague, please share. Share this episode. Send them a text. Leave us a five-star review if you liked it. Let let Dr. Tissier know what you liked. And I hope you walk away asking yourself, What are my short-term goals in medicine? What are my long-term goals in medicine? Am I connected to my why, to a strong why? What is it? And why do I have anxiety if I do have anxiety about my student loan debt? Maybe I don't. Maybe it's a different debt. That is it, my friends. Go, love, spread happiness and joy into this world. Much love to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.